You're listening to Extra Textual. This is a show where we talk about an idea, concept, theme, trend, and relate it to some kind of media like film, TV, video games, books, music, and hopefully discover something about ourselves or our culture along the way. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Eli. With me today are... Jeremy. Mike. We are going to be talking about the topic of nostalgia today on our first episode. So thanks for listening. With nostalgia, we're going to specifically be talking about Star Wars Rogue One, which came out recently. Rogue One. We'll also be connecting that to Stranger Things, uh, the Netflix show, and any other sort of nostalgic type reboot uh, whatever you want to call them, movies and TV shows that are the trend right now. Since this is our first episode, uh, we want to explain a little bit about who we are, uh, where we're coming from, what we're doing today. So the three of us are uh, a part of a little production company called Atwood Land Productions. We've done some short films, hoping to lead to some bigger projects. So we're learning the filmmaking thing. We also like to talk about movies and TV shows and video games and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to let you guys maybe explain a little bit your backgrounds, just briefly. Oh, this is Jeremy. Um, I uh, used to, what do I, I used to, I went to, I was in grad school for a while and I took some film classes and then I decided that I also wanted to make films. So um, I was, I taught uh, film to middle schoolers. I taught a little art school on the south side of town. Um, started making like, uh, a few documentary films myself. I did a little stuff for hire where people paid me some money and I made a documentary film about biofuels or a community center or something. Um, I made a film called Multico uh, a number of years ago, which got into the Wisconsin Film Festival. It was about a multicultural traveling theater group at West High School that I was a, like, I was at for a while. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, was, uh, that happened a while ago. I have kids. I do that mostly. I'm a stay-at-home dad. Um, and one day when I was, like, at you know, dropping my kid off for school. I ran into Eli, I ran into Mikey, and, you know, after several days of being around, <laughs> we eventually figured out that we all liked film. Okay. Yeah. And um, we started to say, like, hey, like, do you want to maybe do something sometime? And they were like, I don't know, maybe. And here we are. And nice. one, one day Eli said, hey, I really want to do a podcast. Yeah. Um, and that sounds cool. Yeah, we'll see so how that goes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm Mike. I... Took interest in film as a very, very young child. Uh, I started watching this show called Movie Magic. It was on the Discovery Channel when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Remember it? No, I've never no. seen it. Um, it just, I mean, it pretty much went over um, special effects and practical effects uh, for the Discovery Channel. Um, so I took interest in special effects and horror and film. Um, as a very young child, I read a lot of Fangoria. Um, I always wanted to be a special effects artist when I was a kid. Um, that led to interest in film and direction and um, filmmaking in general and guerrilla filmmaking and all of those things. Um, I worked short, shortly um, with a group, a nonprofit group that ran a movie theater, nonprofit movie theater. Um, worked with programming and marketing and, and whatnot and a renovation of the 100 year old theater. Yeah, and I mean, I watched a lot of movies. I sat, sat at home and I went to the rental nice. store every day. And, yeah. Like we are. And you make some great uh, fake blood for our film <laughs> so blood, far. Yeah. yeah, which is coming handy. Huh. I didn't know you wanted to do uh, like practical effects and stuff like that. Well, no, yeah. When you were younger. Yeah. Blood and guts and mm-hmm. Tom Savini was like my hero. 
still is, I guess. I don't know who that is. It <laughs> is a lot of horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, this is uh, Eli again, and I have some background <laughs> in... Um, uh, went to film school for my undergrad and graduate school, and with my graduate thesis, made a no-budget feature-length film called Photostoria that played um, a festival. Uh, was uh, a little bit of a weird, experimental, um, too academic of a film, but I learned a lot from that, and now we are making a little more fun stuff, so I'm excited about that. Um, mostly we will be focusing on just talking about movies and stuff on this podcast, not so much the filmmaking, but we will have uh, that sort of angle on things as well when we talk about them. Cool, so let's get into our topic a little bit. And I also want to mention, as Jeremy said, that since we're all dads of young kids, that we want to do a segment every week about what we're watching with our kids. And um, so that should be fun and kind of introduce some different aspects to what we're doing. Condition them to the things that we're... That's right. And it's this big challenge of like how do you how do you share like the yeah. whole world of sci-fi with your you know with your <laughs> nine or where do you start you right know, like right really and, I, and I think a lot of interesting things will come up with that about when is the right time to show them this and uh, what should you be showing kids at a at certain age um, so that should be a fun topic yeah uh, so we're gonna jump into uh, this week's uh, discussion on nostalgia so we thought this would be a good fit since Rogue One is coming out. We're all pretty big Star Wars fans, I would say, here, right? Yeah. For the most part. We could definitely talk about Star Wars for quite a while today. So stay tuned. There will be a mini episode where we kind of just dig into Rogue One specifically and give our little reviews of that. And you actually get to hear the punches when I hit Eli in the face. That's about right. That. It will be pretty heated pretty well. Chair is broken. Um, so, uh, so that will be a fun discussion that we'll kind of geek out on. Uh, right now, though, we're going to kind of break it into a little bit bigger kind of topic than that. So, but first of all, like, did you guys enjoy Rogue One? Um, and we kind of want to tie that into Stranger Things as their own kind of storytelling media. Um, or just because of sort of the self-referential nostalgic imagery that came with it. Like, is it a mixture to you of those two things? Or did you see it as something wholly new? Um, between that, I should also mention after asking this question, uh, that Rogue One is the first standalone Star Wars movies. Um, so it's not related to the original trilogy. There's no Skywalkers in it exactly, um, except for a little spoiler in there, but it's not (laughs) focused on them. So it's these side characters, kind of the, uh, the, the lesser known characters, non-Jedis, um, that we normally see. So it's, it's a little bit of a new angle for the Star Wars world. Uh, so with that big question, did I think we all pretty much enjoyed Rogue One, would you say? Yeah, yeah I thought it was great. Yeah. Uh, so what made you enjoy it? Like, what aspect? Well, I mean, As a Star Wars you, you and I saw it together, which we'll probably we talk about when we do the special show on it. Yeah. And I, I elbowed you a couple of times, and I was talking with your wife, uh-huh. and she was like, I think I, I think you might have been elbowing him because you were excited, and Eli was thought you were elbowing him because like, he, thought, he thought something was bad. <laughs> yeah. um, I thought it was great. I thought it was a rollicking good time. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I can save my general view for later, but um, I liked, uh, I know we disagreed about Grand Moff Tarkin, but so the way I thought about, I thought about it this yeah. way. Like, so, it's a slippery slope. It's it a, is. But That's it's what I but it's a good. I mean, it, but, was, it was executed great for this film, right? 
When and like I mean, and also like it ends like the second that episode four starts. So right. if they looked different, I yeah. mean it would be jarring. Anyway, but yeah. my about nostalgia, like so it's. I feel awkward talking about like Rogue One in the same category as Stranger Things. Okay. Um, just, I mean, when we originally planned this, it made a lot of sense. But Avish, mm-hmm. having seen Rogue One, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there, there's clearly, um, I mean, like, there's just footage of like Red One and Gold One, like from the episode four. Like, it's right. ripped right out of the movie, with, doctored up a little bit. I mean, so it's clearly about something. But, I mean, it, it, it Rogue One read to me much more like an episode of Clone Wars where okay. like we were in this universe there are these characters um and here here's a, a an, an like a, a story that involves those characters mm-hmm. um you mentioned that it's it's a standalone film i mean it is but it only i mean realistically only by title like only because they already named them episode 4 episode 3 like it could be episode 3 if 3 wasn't already made it's right. a fantastic. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, right essen- in. it's yeah. essentially a prequel, right? Yeah, um, to the original ones. Right. Yeah. A lot of people are saying, "Well, there's no, there's not going to be any, you know, other stories with these characters. There's not a sequel to this, but there already is a sequel, which is Episode Four. Right, right, right. It's I mean, like you can you you can just watch the next one and see right. what see right. what happens next. Leads in perfectly. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, when thinking about like the larger picture of nostalgia, there's like, uh, you know. Uh, so, str- I mean, Stranger Things is like here's a bunch of dudes from the '80s playing D and D with the government and right. Russians in the background. You know, like th- that is like I don't know. I mean, it's like buying an ice cream sandwich. Like it's the it's like going to your childhood and like sitting in it and enjoying it with modern storytelling and modern CGI and all that other mm-hmm. stuff. Um, uh, you know, and I think it. You know, the Stranger Things. Uh, I assume you've all seen it. Yeah. Um, uh, like plays heavily on nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Also gives you an interesting story, but it's also, I mean, it's kind of silly to say it, but it's more like a period piece, right? You I know, feel like it plays less on nostalgia than certain elements of Star Wars, even. Yeah, like certain things, reboots and whatnot. So, so here's kind of a distinction when I'm thinking through this. Like we can talk about nostalgia in different ways, but I think when we talk normally about nostalgic films they are more like a period film where it's it's set in that time but this is you know made later and we're kind of going back to that time to see it so stranger things fits more directly into that because that is a specific 80s mm-hmm. time period and they're you know dressed differently than we do now that period dress and um and and reference events from that time period whereas star wars is not qu- doesn't quite fit that because this is sci-fi this is fantasy it's in a different galaxy so our nostalgia is based on other media properties um even though stranger things is also also referencing movies from the 80s and tv shows but i think it's a different kind of nostalgia um yeah yeah i mean so we can i mean if if we say like uh there's a there's a large subject so uh, how do i start this so um like uh, for a while, I guess they saw make the people were making like um, superhero movies. They're yeah. still making those, but like I think the huge time when like every single um, movie was a superhero movie is probably on its way out. Right? Yeah, Mikey doesn't like that stuff. Fine. The bubble is popping. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and so uh, it, well, there's. Um, 
I remember hearing an interview with George Lucas when he was talking about Red Tails. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, there's a lot of action in this film. And he's like, you know, I'm never going to get to make, you know, um, episode seven. Right. Um, yeah. Which was years ago. Yeah. Um, which, you know, it, he didn't, you know, mm-hmm. and, and somebody else made it. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was like the most glorious, you know, thing the internet has ever produced. It's like, they're <laughs> right. making more Star Wars. Yeah. Um, you know, so they, so they're, they're making new stories using pieces um, uh, from, uh, you know, a, a world, mm-hmm. you know, and pieces from pre- previous movies. And I think, like, if you take A Force Awakens, or The Force Awakens, mm-hmm. um, beside Rogue One, I mean, Rogue One has, has, like, literally has more actual footage from previous films, and it feels far less nostalgic to me because it, it creates interesting new situations. K2SO is a new kind of droid. He's not like R2-D2+. plus. He's not like mm-hmm. an orange round R2-D2. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, 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 all the stuff <clears throat> takes place on interesting different planets. Yeah. We see Mustafar so again. Much that there is sub, there's titled planets. Right. Like they have to fit because we have to cram it in it. there. A lot yeah. Right. Um, whereas The Force Awakens, um, it's like, oh, we're on Tatooine. It's not Tatooine. It's not, not Tatooine. Yeah. It's another sand planet. Yeah. You know, and like, and even like all the recycled, like Han Solo jokes. I mean, it, it's like... The winks mm-hmm. and the callbacks and the... Yeah, it's just the chock full of them. Too yeah. much for me, you know. Yeah. And we haven't yet talked about it, but... And then there's a giant planet that shoots things. Um, magic. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of mixed on it <laughs> a little bit, honestly, because... There were, I felt the nostalgia pull a little bit more in Rogue One, and I may be unique in that. Because when I do see these X, the shots of pilots and X-Wings, I did feel like this is exactly out of the other original films. And so for me, it just, it felt a little flat, um, certain moments there, because I just felt like, well, they're just trying to, like, make it look like the other one. And so we are like, yeah, this is what I recognize. Whereas The Force Awakens was more like, referencing those things but doing something new with them um so i think you could argue both ways with that with rogue one as well but some of those moments fell flatter for me or you know it just felt more um fan service when r2d2 and c3po show up for no reason and they're just like where are they going and they're fine shit but like there's no point in the story there's nothing to do with that you know little moments are like characters showing up that you know um and just in passing to mm-hmm. me like hey i know that guy um, it felt like more of that in Rogue One, just for the fans to recognize, than in Force Awakens, it felt a little more tied into the story. Even though I was disappointed the story was so right. close to A New Hope in Force Awakens, um, I liked the new characters enough that it it still moved things forward. If, I mean, Finn is great. Ray is great. Yeah. I mean, I mean I, one of the like titles for this podcast I was pushing for is called Cut the Last 20. Uh-huh. Um, and I mean, and there's like, uh, I mean, I haven't, we haven't talked about it yet. I mean, I could do without all of Star, Star Killer Base. Like, if, if we it's never saw that or yeah. said that word or talked about it's it. It's very derivative of the, yeah. Totally fine. I mean, yeah. I don't I don't even mind Death Star. Like, I'm I, I'm totally fine with, call it the Death with Star. a Death Star <laughs> that, that travels through space, through hyperspace, and destroys yeah. things. Yeah. Make it bigger, fine. But it's like a planet that like eats suns and shoots beams yeah. in a and like. I I need like at least five to ten minutes of exposition about that mm-hmm. for me to buy into yeah, I mean, a giant I, Nazi. I think a lot of my understanding planet. with that came from reading about the film beforehand. Otherwise, I would have been really is like, is this a planet? What's happening? Why are they yeah. forests on it? And, yeah. the, I mean, there's just I mean, I mean, I don't. So I mean, with it, com- comparing like the the story of Rogue One. And the story of Force Awakens. I like Ray. I like Finn. Mm-hmm. You know, I like 
Kylo, I like all that stuff. Um, but the like, the like, they show up again. Star Killer, they show up, and Han's like, "There's someone like, there's a shield," and he's like, "I'll take." Han's like, "I'll take care of that." <laughs> I'm like, "Come on!" It's yeah. it, like that. Yeah, like even that it's a giant planet, whatever. Like the 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 ridiculous improbability of both Han signing on for the cause again. Because mm-hmm. in the original movies, he's cool because he's like, I don't know, am I gonna help out or not? I don't know. Right. A New Hope. He he's not he's not in on the mission. Well, it's pretty right, much but like, he shows up at the end. But his but his son is involved. His family yeah. he's in it. I know, but why does like why does like one grumpy dude who doesn't want to have anything to do with it all of a sudden show up and take out with one action the biggest like a yeah. giant planet sized I mean, hyperspace feel like laser? He was referencing like, well, we've done this a couple times before. We'll just do that same thing. Again. Yeah. <laughs> so so let's let's make it a little bit bigger again. Um, so did you with the new Disney films, The Force Awakens, Rogue One? Do you feel like a lot of what people are relating to is the nostalgia factor, or these are are these good films in of themselves? Like, are they good stories, or is it like enough there that like it feels like the original Star Wars, so I can go with it, and this is what I really wanted, and it's got some new stuff in it. Um, I mean, maybe not even us, but just like the general public, is that's what is working for people, or is it? I feel like on the nostalgia level, Rogue One is a less winky to the past Easter egg contained film. Like it is, it's a better standalone story. Only, I mean, only because we know the where where it came from and where it's gonna go. Like you, yeah. There's no secrets to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Force Awakens, it, it, it works on its own as well. There is a bit, a lot of just because Harrison Ford's in it, Carrie Fisher's in it. Like we all, it was such a, uh, a drawn out. Oh my God, this movie's happening. Harrison Ford's involved. He broke his leg. This and that. Mark mm-hmm. Hamill's in it. That it's like saturated with with the, like it like stinks of nostalgia and that's that's a strong way to put it but and i love the movie yeah but like there's just so much in it only and then that's the tail end of you know like we knew where they came from came from and now it's only a question of like well, what are they going to do with this storyline that is going to make it relevant whereas rogue one we know what's going to happen we know that we can't have a bad sequel to it mm-hmm. so it's a little bit less of a it's like more relieving like okay it turned out really well turned out good Mm -hmm. it's at least watchable right Mm -hmm. okay it's done like good right (laughs) i mean i think like the force awakens i see what you're kind of saying i'm a pretty big fan of jj abrams i think he's really talented i thought he did really he's a slick filmmaker right so i think i could see if those elements were in the hands of somebody less talented Mm -hmm. it could have felt like he's just hitting the beats of like we gotta have this droid in there and they gotta go find this and then we gotta have han solo but like he was able to like make it flow well enough that i think it was fun but maybe in someone else's hands that might have felt really clunky. it was fun it looked like a star wars film it looked i mean it looked spot on whereas rogue one looked a bit different they used different focal lengths and yeah. A different, and it was meant to be. Right, yeah. it meant, and it meant to be. Yeah. So I think that also adds to it for me anyway, that mm. it, it's, it's different because it looks different, it feels a bit different. Um, yeah. So th- I think it adds just to its standaloneness, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> well, no, I mean, I, I don't know if J.J. Abrams listens to our podcast, but Probably. I'm, I'm not the biggest fan. Yeah. Um, 
I you know I I didn't want all work all the way through Lost. I got I watched a couple episodes and yeah. Purgatory. I was, I was really like, JJ. I was like, how? And, and I'm like, and my friend's like, here I got the you know the other seven seasons. I'm like, how this goes on for how long? Um, so I was thinking about what to say the other day, and I guess I guess I have to say this and about JJ Abrams vis-a-vis George Lucas in that one of the things that like I, the reason why I can watch Star Wars a billion times mm-hmm. is like the the material it works with are like like archetypes mm-hmm. they're like characters out of ep- epic stories that exist mm-hmm. in thousands of places they are Jungian psychological archetypes yes. and like there's not a plethora of characters which is sometimes a criticism I'm like does uh-huh. the universe really revolve around like these three people <laughs> right. for real this right. one Brother single family sister. line yeah. <laughs> but like they get to represent you know these these choices and challenges mm-hmm. and cruxes and I like that yeah. and uh, I think J.J. Abrams tends to work with like stuff he makes up like you know, like I haven't watched so I was Lost, mm-hmm. but I've read about it, mm-hmm. and it's like at the end, like there's this these what we learn about the island, which ties it all together. But I'm yeah. like, why is that? It doesn't even make it. it I don't know. I, again, like I wish we just didn't know, yeah. and we just had these interesting stories of people with challenges, and then it was done. Yeah. And we didn't have like we, we don't pull back the curtain and see the what goes on. Yeah. So with the Force Awakens, there's, um, I mean, I, I felt like it was like a my opinion, it was like a, it was fun, but it was like a a box checking film. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it was like, definitely setting things up to. Yeah, to you know, and I, I mean, I feel like so much of it was like trying not to screw up. Right. Right, and so like played a little. Safe, I mean, yeah. to jump over the other side and go like, like Peter Jackson, like there, there are criticism that exists of Peter Jackson, uh, and when he made Lord of the Rings, that I am we're not talking about the Hobbit, but Lord of the Rings <laughs> that I am sympathetic to. Yeah. But first and foremost, he 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 succeeded in two phenomenal ways. First of which is he did not screw it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like whatever loves some a few things, <laughs> but like one, like read the Cimmerillion and then come back and talk to me because a lot of that right. stuff is in it's there. In there yeah. Secondly, he made it awesome, mm-hmm. right? He like succeeded in not screwing up and then kicked yeah, it up a notch. Yeah. And it's such you know, like when I was watching like you know the Fellowship of the Ring, I'm like, when I heard the like sour, sad, sad music when like Frodo was crossing the river, I'm like, oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, he goes all the way to Mordor. I, yeah. I I'm not gonna wait five years to see what happens. Yeah. I, and I think that you know J.J. Abrams. Made the Force Awakens, mm-hmm. like he didn't screw it up. He didn't screw it, yeah. Um, but I didn't really, I didn't feel like he made it awesome. Didn't. Exactly. And then like, you know, like cool, like atmospheric, like Millennium Falcon, Finn is cute, but I feel like almost in every scene we're like, okay, like, did we screw it up? No. Okay, <laughs> move on. You know, there isn't there. I didn't feel like there's, there was a lot of like, bold choices that I I was like, wow, like that's uh. awesome and interesting. Um. And in the Rogue One, like when they when they're going to the um, the base to like assault to, mm-hmm. the guy's gonna kill Galen, yeah. and the daughter's there. I'm like, wow, like they're spending a lot of time setting this up. People mm-hmm. crawling in different places, all these different, right, you know, and they're spending a lot of time like figuring out what's gonna happen in this one moment. Mm-hmm. And I was, and that's sort of like when I got drawn in. I was like, oh, like, you know, we so got lots of shots. Now. We got a lot of interesting things going on. A lot of conflicting goals and confusion and. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nighttime, you know, and it was like, wow, like, you know, it, it, that's when I clearly got on board and I'm like, cause yeah. this has, I mean, it's, it totally, it's related to the Death Star and it's related mm-hmm. to Star Wars, but it's just in and of itself interesting and not why I showed up. Like I didn't right. show up thinking that there was, you know, like expecting that to be what's interesting mm-hmm. and that's what There's was, yeah. So that's what I, I got a lot from that. That's not, I mean, I could care less what universe that happens in. Right. Yeah. Um, but it happens to happen in the Star Wars universe, which is even more interesting, you know, mm-hmm. Um, what did you guys think of so 
what you were kind of bringing up about Star Wars originally being kind of this Saturday afternoon serial, these archetypes, characters. So Star Wars is holding this weird place these days of we're on kind of the third iteration of Star Wars. And Star Wars originally was kind of this nostalgia thing, too, that those were looked back on as like uh, the good old days when we could watch these serials and just sit back and enjoy the adventure. And I think that's what it kind of brought up in people, even if there was a younger generation watching them as well. And so now it's like us who were not actually around for the very original Star Wars, but grew up with it. And so we're coming off of that nostalgic, but it was originally based off of these like kind of pastiche of things already that I don't, you know, I don't even know what level we're going into now. And if you think of like uh, the characters of Finn and Rey are kind of like fanboys and fangirls, like, and Kylo Ren is like, you know, his hero is Darth Vader. He's trying to be Darth Vader. Yeah. (laughs) Like he's looking up to you and they've heard about these characters. Like, you know, I I think Skywalker is real. Like, yeah. 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 And so So it's like replacing us in that same place of kind of going back and being like, oh, these films from our childhood, you know, like, oh, there's more to the story. Like there are kind of surrogates in that, which is a weird mode, I think, for it to take. Yeah, well, and so I thought about, I thought you might say that. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I thought about is there's, I mean, we can like hyperanalyze like the multiple levels of meta-ness that we are currently at. Like are right. we currently meta three or meta four. Right. But I mean, if you look at like human storytelling, you starting back with like the Greek epic poems, mm-hmm. you know, the stories that existed there or the mm-hmm. stuff I studied like in India, like the, the Ramayana and the Mahabharata, these great tales. Yeah. Like they were told by people for hundreds mm-hmm. of years, like mm-hmm. the same story. Yeah. Um, and even now, like, you can look at uh, variant versions of the Ramayana all across India, and people mm-hmm. retell the story with the same characters, and, like, they'll they'll highlight various cruxes that those characters go through or elements to, mm-hmm. to make a particular point. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to make up new characters and settings and things to make a point. And I, and I don't think so much that uh, the Star Wars is, like, a... Uh, thinking about it as a, a multiple level of meta-ness right. um, gets away from the fact that it's... You know, like, there are probably precursors to those... Saturday morning serials like and, and there's right. a reason why like that was successful like <laughs> big strong heroic man does impossible things saves person and comes back like this mm-hmm. is Joseph Campbell at the very beginning you know like yeah. this is the story of the hero doing the thing mm-hmm. and I think that there's it's more about for me like um, the movies being part of a universal way in which humans tell stories about stuff yeah. there's like a problem and like normal people can't handle it and the hero fails at it and the hero then acquires somebody else to guide them on a journey to find the thing to help solve mm-hmm. the problem like this is how we, you know, when humans encounter problems, we invent heroes to solve them. You know, yeah. we create stories. You know, it's the same place that superheroes come from. Right. Um, and I think that, um, again, like I feel like Rogue One has a little more of the the, the epic storytelling, and it feels more like because you you, know, you could more like you could watch it and feel what these characters are doing. You know, like there's the girl trying to get back to her father. There's the mm-hmm. there's the you know the reluctant sniper. You know, like mm-hmm. do I do my duty or do I do what feels right? Those are big yeah. questions always. Mm-hmm. You know, you have like the crazy. I know you don't like the crazy blind dude, but you know the, yeah. the crazy blind dude that Most stands. Else does, yeah. yeah, that stands in for Jedi, right? right? You know, we don't we don't get Jedi, right. but we get him. I was and, waiting for him to flip that that switch at the end. Yeah, the yeah, well, and with I the think force? yeah, uh, um, <laughs> and so I think again, I mean I. I, when I, the Force Awakens, I feel like, does get into more of like this level of meta-ness and self self-ref- mm-hmm. self reference, and gets away from big like the the, the bigger bigger archetypical sort of like stories that 
humans do. And that's why, I mean, that's one of my criticisms of J.J. Abrams. I feel like he, he like, has his world, yeah. and it makes, it's, like, cool and mm-hmm. intricate, but it, like, it it doesn't resonate as deeply there for me as other stuff. softer tones, or softer themes of the film. The the redemption of Kylo Ren's with Kylo Ren with the son as the son, um, the mystery of Rey and all like there's other themes, but not so much the heroic tale like the hero's tale. I mean there is even that too with Rey yeah. finding the you know the rebellion. But and she and she discovers it on her own. You know she discovers yeah. you know she awakens the Force. Yeah, right. That's <laughs> in her own, which is cool. I think I could almost see it the other way with Rogue One too that. The Force Awakens is trying to continue that epic scale of these characters and the Skywalkers and whoever Rey is. Um, and Rogue One is trying to do something new in that we do... There's still archetypal characters, but we see are seeing a grittiness and we're seeing shades of gray. You know, um, Cassian kills, like, his informant at the beginning <laughs> to get away. Like, it's saying, like, the rebels are not this, like, clean-cut group that we thought they were. They're rougher... So I feel like that could be more of like a modernization of the Star Wars world and saying, hey, we're going to go a little darker with this. Um, by the way, we're going into spoilers because everybody dies, which is not, you know, like, I just read an article with the director and he like, when they originally, they were not going to all die. And they, when they were thinking, they're they like, they got to all die. And they're like, I don't know if Disney's going to let us do that. Um, which they did, but they were like, even they, filmmakers were concerned, like, they're not going to let us kill everybody. Um, so I think that's going a little darker. But. Mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely sheds new light on some parts of the original trilogy. Um, we mentioned Hansel earlier, not wanting to get involved with with the rebellion and all this, his resistance, the hero's resistance, um, because it's a bunch of scumbags. And maybe that explains a little bit why Hansel is all of a sudden a general in the army, right? But he's a smuggler. Like, yeah, it adds some more context to it, and some more a bit, a bit more reality, I suppose. Right, where it's a band of um, different rebel forces, rebel alliance. Right, there's a bunch of different separate groups, and they all come together and have a really poorly, uh, really poorly run conference room of different leaders, and they can't decide mm-hmm. on anything. So then they don't decide on anything. Yeah. Um, so I mean, a bit more realism to it. Yeah. So what do you guys think about um, kind of taking nostalgia in a different direction? And I want to talk about Stranger Things soon, but with Star Wars, what I was noticing in Rogue One 2, there were certain... Could we think of nostalgia as, like, uh, political in its imagery? So referencing maybe recent uh, events in the world and stuff? Is this, like, the, the, the Trump business? Not, well... Not necessarily to Trump, but if we think about, like, which I like these scenes, but going through the, the city, what is it, Jeddah City? Is yeah. That what they call it? Um, and it almost really references what we see in the Middle East with, like, the Gulf War um, and things like that, where there's, you know, this kind of poor city street kind of broken apart. There's these power lines going, this tank going through it with marching soldiers. And to me, those that kind of imagery just kind of pulls me back into that. And I think it was fairly intentional for us to see those. And so I like that they're trying to make these allegories for a real world. Um, but do you think, do you think that's a good thing? Um, let me give you another example. I don't know if you've ever seen Batman v Superman, but you may have seen him in the trailer where uh, Bruce Wayne is running through the city when there's all the destruction 
from um, the first Superman film. And there's like this clouds of smoke enveloping him as he's running down the street and people are screaming. And that's like 9-11, like clearly what we saw in the news all the time. Um, so I guess my question is, is this a good use of this imagery in these different films? Like, is that just cheap sort of nostalgia for, you know, the images we constantly see on television and get embedded in our minds? And so... Um, it feels maybe more powerful when they're just kind of recycling it for entertainment. I mean, it de- I feel it definitely adds a, a level of of like subconscious subconscious connection if mm-hmm. you're if we're talking about what we're actually seeing in the real world compared to you know CGI in a Superman movie, destruction mm-hmm. of cities and plumes of smoke and whatnot. Right. Um, to call that nostalgia, I feel like is kind of a misinterpretation I feel like the nostalgia factor is like what it makes you feel as a person and I don't want to mm-hmm. be like weirdly existential or but like I don't I, I feel nostalgia I don't I'm not it's not sent you know what I mean it's yeah. not like laid on me okay um I mean I maybe not maybe I'm just making this up but yeah like it definitely hits a different note when you see things that you can relate to real life, it makes it that much more uh, impactful. Yeah. But maybe not nostalgic. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe nostalgia has to have a certain element of sort of pleasure in the viewing of those images. Like, it, it gives you that a pleasurable feeling. Well, here, um, so about the them. pleasurable feeling of nostalgia. Yeah. <clears throat> For me, it's, like, fairly clear it's like when I watch a show about, like when I watch Stranger Things, mm-hmm. and I see that it's, what, like, 19, was it 1978 or something it takes place, or 1982? It's like early 80s. Early okay, 80s. Was it, think, yeah. Let's say 1984, 1983. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, I can look back to that time period, or, like, look back to, I was young then, but mm-hmm. remember, like, that early 80s milieu, mm-hmm. and, like, it's, I'm a child, so, like, it's tinged by childhood. Right. I also, nice. like, the, the problems of the world, like, oh, my gosh, nuclear weapons from Russia? It doesn't happen. <laughs> right, so I'm like the big, the big scary scared, yeah. thing that people are worried about. I'm like, you know, I'm not worried about it. It's cool, it, yeah. but you know, if I were to watch a show, you know, in which like the main problem was like environmental destruction or like our country being led by a nut job, you know, like mm-hmm. those are things that are very real and that are part of my current milieu. And I think a lot yeah. of people's. Mm-hmm. So like nostalgia draws me out of my current problems, brings me back into an, another place, which where I'm younger, so I feel better about Honest it. Kind story, of taunted, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. tinged with gold or not yeah um and also like the 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 global problems that exist there are ones that i that i'm not actually scared of mm. like the, the world of stranger things is completely safe to me mm-hmm. like i'm not scared of those government guys i'm mm-hmm. not scared of it i'm not scared about the economy i'm not yeah. scared about the suburbs you know i'm like i'm not worried about anything i think that's i'm good, excited for an adventure that's a good a point totally safe adventure a lot of people talk about the stephen king kind of references and feelings and that especially the opening titles and the, the music and uh but it's true, like, at this point, we kind of view those Stephen King movies from the 80s as kind of cheesy and kind of fun. At the time, you know, having the more relevance in that time period was scarier. Now we can kind of think fondly and be like, oh, yeah, I watched those movies for fun, you know. To just, yeah, no, when yeah, I watched the movie It, I, I could not sleep for, like, several months. Right. I, I, right. I wasn't unable to. I just had to yeah. lie in bed and, like, count yeah, and now we might look at those things and be like, I can't believe those characters are wearing that ridiculous clothes. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, in general of the 80s, and that might be what we think about more or something, but yeah. or clowns in the sewers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. maybe to a larger question, I mean, 
about nostalgia. Yeah. I mean, I think that we don't we haven't talked about this much yet, but you know, like a lot of the way films are made, you know, has a lot to do with their financing and be able mm-hmm. to, to finance a big film. You need to be able to convince a bunch of fairly conservative folks monetarily mm-hmm. that they're going to make a lot of money off it. Um, and so it's you're going to have to be able to say like here's a here's a thing which is totally successful. We're going to do that thing again, yeah. right? They don't want yeah. risk. And so you know, like it, the production of films in modern era t- tends to follow these like cycles. You know? Mm-hmm. you know, like superheroes last big example. And I think yeah. that um, once people recognize through streaming, you know, like a, a lot of independent streaming shows and a lot of mm-hmm. stuff that there's like there is a clear like measurable market for mm-hmm. a particular kind of nostalgia. The people that finance films are like, totally. Yeah. Right. You know, like we're going to go in for that because we know we're going to be able to make X amount of money off that. Like it's yeah. a very, like a mathematical calculation. And so I think, you know, that like, you know, like when you see, well, I mean, because I don't know about how Stranger Things was financed, so I can't talk about it. But I mean, when you look at The Force Awakens, I mean, it's made by the biggest media company in the known universe. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't they don't make mistakes yeah. you know like the, you know this they're big. not going to take too big zero right yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think that and I think they over nostalgia that like mm-hmm. Mikey said earlier like I think that they're like okay so like you know this is what here's you like we have we need 37 nostalgia beats yeah. in this film that's like the mathematical solution yeah. to make the most money um, I like how they made a big deal out of I mean it's all practical effects all these creatures mm-hmm. but like also there's tons of CG effects in this more than most movies in yeah. general yeah but what we're gonna the story we're putting out there is hey all these things are practical effects you know yeah like we're going back to what you want and I think too that there's um like the most nostalgic moment for me in the whole Force Awakens media extravaganza mm-hmm. is in the trailer when Han and Chewie go in the the Falcon we're, and we're like home, and he's yeah. like we're home which is the best delivered line he has in that entire film <laughs> I mean I, we Eli and I went to watch we saw Rogue One together and the best acting Harrison Ford has done in years I think was in the three seconds I saw him in the Blade Runner you know trailer <laughs> I'm like that's that's who you that's are that's why we that's why we buy your movies this thing you phoned in for The Force Awakens is not I loved every moment of Hans Solo I didn't Force see Awakens. the Blade Runner trailer you should see oh, the Blade Runner trailer I didn't see it that was Brian Gosling and you should totally see it yeah. look, I mean I know Eli's a big fan but yeah. um, and so, I mean, so, like, even with Han Solo, I, you can cut this later, but um, even with Han Solo, <laughs> like, I, I felt like he didn't do a great job of acting, and I didn't really love him, and I felt like he was there for nostalgia. Like, I, I would have rather had... That's why he died. So, I would have rather had someone, like, doing <laughs> his in, function yeah. um, than him, like, as, like, I, I want to have, like, the Han Solo character, like, the young, of questionable mm. morals character involved, and he's not mm. that... He's this fatherly figure. He's not mm-hmm. reluctant. Yeah. I mean, he helps. He immediately helps out everybody who shows up at his doorstep. <laughs> you know, and so like he he's in there. I think for nostalgia because yeah. he's Han Solo, yeah. and we could tell this story with somebody else, a different actor, a different character, a slightly different storyline. He can show up, yeah. but I don't. I don't like the. I don't like that well, he. Um, we don't talk about this role. now, but I, I totally disagree. <laughs> I think he was like the heart of the film for me. So like it would have felt. Like, I feel like he actually did tie the old stories to what was happening in the new one. And he showed emotion to Ray in remembering that stuff. And I would argue that he's still his sort of, I mean, more grumpy old man. But, like, he was going to kick him off his ship right away. He's going to take that ship back. He didn't want to go help people, I feel like. He didn't want to go see Leia. You know, he was grumpy about that. But we could talk about that. Another day. Um... So with 
Stranger Things. I think we all really like that. And yeah, and I hope they make more. I mean, I, yeah. yeah, they better. I'm excited to see more. What what worked with for you guys with that? Again, was it just a well-told story set in the 80s, some fun references, or did you do you feel like the nostalgia aspects really sold it? Because, like, almost instantly there was articles online just like, here are all the references to the 80s moments in Stranger Things, like whether it was, you know, Stephen King or, like, books or... Um, E.T., all this kind of stuff. So people, I think part of the game was like, what, you know, I'm in the know. I know about all this stuff that they were referencing, and that's part of the fun. But for me, I think it still worked as as a fun story. I mean, the story definitely worked for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I really liked, I mean, each episode was great. Um, And I I didn't know too much of the whole, I didn't play Mm D&D. I'm slightly too young to to get to remember any of the eighties. Um, I appreciated the, the well executed, um, like the costuming and the set design and all that. Uh, I know Stephen King, but like, I don't, I mean, a lot of the stuff kind of missed me and I think it still really worked. Um, as far as like the production factor of it, um, I mean, it looked like a Spielberg movie. Yeah. Like it worked for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because Spielberg makes good stuff for yeah. the most part. And uh, I mean, it, if you can say, if he makes good stuff and it looks like his stuff, then it's good. Like the transit <laughs> yeah, 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 right. The transit <laughs> Spielberg property. It works, yeah. Um, I mean, and it worked. So, I mean, it was a good story. It, I mean, it hit all the, the right beats. Uh, well acted, I suppose. Yeah. Like I mean, really well. I'm a big fan of a good performance, you know, and I think mm-hmm. that, um, especially with kids, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's hard. Yeah. Um, as a cross crazy related shout out, um, have you guys ever seen the Disney version of A Bridge to Terabithia, the remake? Yeah, it's so super good. Yeah. It is I feel like the acting in it is awesome. Like, because there's mm-hmm. mainly two actors. I don't know. Yeah, I thought it was great. Too. There's even some crazy CGI in it. It's a great, it's a great, great <laughs> film. I mean, the, the story is heartbreaking and awesome. Yeah, and that's and, I, and it was, it was done by, um, it's the same production company that sort of Disney like made slash um, farmed out to do the Chronicles of Narnia stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, Walden Media. Walden Media. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, Stranger Things. So we, we, we keep coming back to this thing about referencing it. And for me, like what I want to say about it is like all good art is like chocked full of things that are meaningful to people, mm-hmm. whether they are like real events that happened in real history or events that happened in other books. I mean, mm-hmm. like you look at any like great book that you mm-hmm. love. It is chocked filled of references to everything else, yeah. you know, like, and that's what makes your, you know, that's what makes the book good, mm-hmm. because like everything it uses to evoke emotion in you is something yeah. that it knows that you know, right? Yeah. The author knows that you know, and so I think that I mean, Stranger Things is, I mean, the thing that I like most about Stranger Things is something that exists in Buffy the Vampire Slayer as well. It's the 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 two layers of like consequence, mm-hmm. you know, like. The, you know, the, the kid is worried about his mom finding out about this girl. <laughs> At the same time, we're worried out worried about, like, her saving humanity. Right. Or at least this her town from this too, yeah. giant, scary monster. <laughs> right? And they're both, like, and the kids are both equally concerned with both of those. Yeah. And even a little more concerned with, like, the mom stuff. Right? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, all throughout... Buffy, at least for the first five seasons or so before, like, you know, she moves away from home and the, the other stuff. Like, she's concerned about, especially like the first two, you know, seasons one through three, she's worried about, like, getting in trouble with her mom. 
Right. You know, and also like saving humanity from this evil <laughs> blood sucking demon thing. Right. Which is like fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, and I don't, and I don't know, I don't have a really good explanation as to why I find it fun, but I do. Yeah. You know, it's like, because um, it's maybe in the way that they layer on top of each other, like, I understand like not trying to get in trouble with your parents. Yeah. You know, and so maybe that allows me to like somehow parallel be worried about this larger thing. Yeah. Um, but I just find it, um, what I've, one thing that I will say about that is it, it when that happens in stories it allows me to like really believe what's going on because mm-hmm. the characters are really grounded in what's happening it's not like i don't know like dragon yeah. ball z or something right. where like you know like you're just a dude and then all of a sudden like you're flying in space shooting lasers and defending never existence never have to be home never yeah. have to eat yeah 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 never you know like all that yet. stuff so and like all these characters are practical and also something I like about it too it's a very short span of time Mm-hmm. It's a very small place. It's a it's it, it's a few. Each incident that happens is important. Mm-hmm. Every scene in which somebody does something or sees something matters to the greater story. Right. And I like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the things I like about Rogue One. It's a small task. Yeah. Big implication. Small task. Yeah. Um, and I like. Um, it's also one of the reasons why I really like The Wire. And The mm-hmm. Wire starts the wire. because because Jimmy gives a shit when it's not his turn. <laughs> this, he goes to court. One day when he really shouldn't. And like five seasons later, we crack open everything else, right? It, it, it starts with this very small thing, which is also like, as I go on and on, you know, it's also one of the things I really like about noir films. Like when you yeah. go to that sort of like that extra act at the end, right. you know, you see it in Gone Baby Gone, you see it in uh, Murder My Sweet, where like you think you're done, there's this nagging little thing, small thing. Yeah. And you go bit. on. It's bigger, yeah. Yeah, and like the first episode of Stranger Things, we're like, oh, did he just disappear? Right. Whoa. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, I'm going to watch everything you ever make. You know, I, I need to find out what happened. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's that that basic, um, you know, that I think it's called the scopic drive or the optic mm-hmm. drive where you just you just want to see what's around the corner. Mm-hmm. That they just they work through the it, whole yeah. thing. And, it, and, it, and it, it's great. I mean, like, you don't, I don't find that it's crass or silly or mm-hmm. I'm honestly interested to see what happens. Um, and they don't give me, like, a lot of crazy stuff to pay attention to like Mm. everything that i find out is really interesting (laughs) i mean what i find unique is i think you pointed out a lot of the elements that are not nostalgic that work for it which make it good but even going into it i mean that opening title just tells you like this is 80s influenced like straightforward we hauled the synthesizer out of someone's basement so like i think for me it was a weird combination of feeling like they are not hiding this at all, the references. But, like, it's really working for me, like, as a story. And so I think it's a combination of finding those kid actors that are... You believe the emotion. I mean, is it L is the main mystery girl, right? Eleven. Yeah, yeah. Eleven? Yeah. Um, like, she's great. Like, I totally empathize with her and what she's going through, um, through the acting. And the, the kids all were, like, fun together and not the normal, maybe, kids you would expect in those. Uh, And I think that's some of the reason it works and the interesting story was still new elements. So I guess it was a little bit of a mystery for me because I thought it was just going to be like, oh, this is just like referencing things and that's kind of fun, but kind of surface level. But I was surprised that that it went deeper. And I think that's what kind of makes things something different. Um, Yeah, I mean, if you were to contrast with like Freaks and Geeks, I mean, Freaks mm -hmm. and Geeks is like kind of like going to a museum. Right. You know, like he, he, like here's here's a here's a, a series of portraits mm-hmm. of people you know knew when you were younger. <laughs> From that time. Like, like how many times do we see the iconic image of what is it? 
uh, like the drummer is sitting there listening to like Rush twiddling. I mean, right. that's yeah. in there like just like twenty minutes of that. Yeah. Not really, but maybe you know, twenty minutes <laughs> of it in there. Um, you know, and like the you know they they're they're portraits of interesting people, but mm-hmm. like the interactions and tales that go on, like I can't even remember. Yeah. Um, maybe they're better than that, but you know, like it's it's like that that to me is like a classic nostalgia piece. Mm-hmm. Here's some stuff. Doesn't right. that feel awesome to be next to it and to see it? Yeah. Um, but like Stranger Things was like. This is the 80s. You love all of this stuff. <laughs> By the way, here's some crazy stuff happening you want to pay attention to. Else, yeah. Right. Um, and so, it, 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 and that's what, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I also loved the, I, I mean, I love the opening. I, like, I want to, like, just listen to the opening credits. Yeah, I, that's like, I, like, I, I love that opening. I, and, like, I don't know. So cool. It's, I mean, we talk about listening to uh, uh, Eli and I talk about Tron often mm-hmm. I'm a much bigger fan of the original Tron than Tron Legacy um, even though it's like it's dated and has synthesizing music and is like the CGI is wacky mm-hmm. um, I just feel like that the the person who like the people that did it like the, the people that made the music the people that did all those scenes like had so much artistry in it that like it doesn't ma- like you know it doesn't matter that it's old you mm-hmm. know it just because it's just good yeah. um and that's how i felt about stranger things you know and it was even like it even felt like there was it was painting with a different kind of brush or palette you know like mm-hmm. I, I hadn't really seen anything else like it yeah you know, because it literally could have been on in 1984 yeah you know which is i mean my wife different pointed than, out a good point she was like it really does feel like it but with like better acting and a little better made mm-hmm. yeah than the, than the right. 80s you know like the, the performances probably would have felt more awkward in, yeah. in that time period but so it makes it even better but even if it was full of awkward performances it's something that I probably would have watched <laughs> yeah. Person, right? yeah oh and, and I did play D&D. I played a lot of it just so we all so fun, yeah. all know that right. like, and we didn't wear costumes there was no LARPing I know that often comes up <laughs> are you sure yeah, yeah. So I want to um, mention one other thing, and then we can probably move on to our last segments here. I've recently realized, this isn't anything mind-blowing, but I'm in my mid-30s, and suddenly I'm realizing, like, especially with Netflix, and so Stranger Things is Netflix, and they are using these algorithms to see what people are watching, and so we're getting all these, like, reboots or, like, shows that were popular and canceled and now they're bringing them back voltron uh voltron is actually pretty awesome have you watched um, the new one what have you watched the new one yeah i love it uh but you know we have fuller house which i can't deny like was like this such a warm like tgif friday warm feeling to me in my childhood even though i watched a few episodes of new and it was so horrible but i was just like this is just something locked in my mind of like fond memories you know like i really don't have a desire to go back and watch even those originals anymore but like that time period in my life so it did kind of bring that back um but some of those things some of the work don't gilmore girls which was also pretty good uh the new one um but I think I guess what I'm getting at is realizing that there's a shift from our parents' generation, baby boomers and things who were tailored to in the media. Um, and there was this period, I think, more in like the 90s, early 2000s, where we're getting all these reboots of the Brady Bunch and things like that, trying to bring those back. And that was because they were the ones watching it. And now I'm realizing it's shifting to, oh, I am the audience that they are directly marketing to. And it's kind of working. 
Um, it's, it's nice to be in the focus demographic. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's like, oh, they're bring back Twin Peaks and Blade Runner and all these things. And it's like, that's because I am now the audience. That's right. who they're going after. And they know that those are the people watching it. And they know you have money and will buy memorabilia they know, and they go know see we have things. Kids and, and, yeah, and you're going to money. And so, yeah, that, that, um, that's weird. I mean, have you guys been feeling that at all? Or, uh, yeah. Um, I know that. Personally, MacGyver was always one of my favorites. <laughs> yes. Favorite shows. I'd come home from school and watch MacGyver every day. Yes, yes. Um, and they tarnished the legacy of MacGyver <laughs> with a reboot. Well, uh, was it a reboot? TV. Yeah, this year. on CBS. Uh, um, I, I watched, I think, part of one episode. It was god-awful. Um, Did they get somebody else, or was it him again? No, it was somebody else. Some okay. kid. Yeah, young guy. Same haircut. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Um, it was awful. Uh, there's a certain degree of like, I like the things that I liked when I was a kid because, I mean, it doesn't matter if they're terrible mm-hmm. or production value and all that. Like, I didn't care about any of that. I watched it because that was the only thing that was on TV at the time. Yeah. It was on three times that week and I was home all those, all those days and I watched it three times in one week. And I, you know, certain things you fall in love with because there's, there was such a limited choice for media in those times, right? So you go to, the, like, for example, you buy a record, mm-hmm. and you now you own that record. Mm-hmm. You're going to listen to it. You right. just spent your lunch money on it. Um, so whether or not it's terrible, I mean, who knows? It's yours. But it's mine, and I like it now because I listen to it a dozen <laughs> times. Um, there's, and I mean, the same goes with a lot of the stuff that, I mean, maybe not all of the things. A lot of it is kind of, kind of alternative cult classics, but they're cult classics because there was 10 movies to pick at the video store. You picked two out of 10, and you know now they're your favorite movies. Um, so I feel like the selection process is a lot, is astronomically different for us these days. So I feel like that's probably what has maybe led to a lot of Netflix's algorithms and that analyses that like you watched you watched Twin Peaks so now we're going to redo Twin Peaks while David Lynch is still alive mm-hmm. um, we're going to pay him as much as we can because right. you know people are going to watch it so, right yeah and we will and it's, yeah. it might maybe it'll be good but maybe it'll just also tarnish those probably won't be memories <laughs> um, yeah so I mean I don't know what I, where I was really going with any of that but yeah well I mean I, it's hard for me. I mean, I agree with you, Mikey, about MacGyver with 100% without a doubt. That was terrible. <sighs> you didn't even see it. And you know I haven't seen it. I mean, like, I don't, yeah, I, I don't need spread, to see it. Yeah. Like, if it doesn't have Richard Dean Anderson and it doesn't have a few <laughs> elements, like, it I, it won't be good. Um, but, I mean, I, so, like, the argument is, um, you know, it's what we watch and that's what we like. So, if mm-hmm. you're going to do something that we're also going to like, you should do something like the stuff that we watch. Uh, I agree with that. Um, but I also, like, there's just some, like, things that I love inexplicably. Meatloaf's music. Um, the, the, the first Hellraiser movie. Um, you know, like, uh, the movie Gate. Uh, it's another horrible demon movie. I'm learning so much about it. Um, 
You know, or like, or like when I watched Moulin Rouge for the first time, I'm mm-hmm. like, this is the single greatest cinematic experience <laughs> I have, and like, I love it. Like, I, I like those first three films, Rouge, yeah. you know, Strictly, Strictly Ballroom, Moulin, I mean, uh, Romeo and Juliet and Moulin Rouge. I own them uh-huh. in the red card or the red curtain trilogy. Like, I can watch them over and over and over again, and I just love every bit of them. Yeah. Like I, I don't like Leonardo DiCaprio in general. I love him in that film. I, I'm like, I liked it a lot. As every, well. I mean, yeah. like Mercutio, like everything, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and I think that there's, there's part of it though that like, like I was never, I, like I never did the Brady Bunch, you know. So like the, yeah. the the previous generation of reboots, like it, a lot of them didn't. I didn't watch the original ones. I didn't watch the reboots. I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, and so like, I, I don't want to say that like our stuff is better. Like our generation stuff is better, <laughs> um, but I think that there's there's certain things. Um, well, I mean, there, there, there's there's marketing to, um, well, the Netflix algorithm, right? Mm-hmm. There's like you like this thing, so we think you like other things that are like this show right. that you watched. Yeah. But there's also like you like this genre, uh-huh. you know, which is like quirky sci-fi, you know, whatever it is. Because right. I love Firefly. And it, and it gives you other things in that category. Uh-huh. And I think that, like, liking things like Voltron is different than, like, liking epic robot stories. If you know, because, like, epic robot stories includes, like, Evangelion and the Iron Giant mm-hmm. um, and some great stuff. Like, when I watch on Netflix, there's often, like, you watched, um, you know, Full Metal Alchemist and. Um, uh, Attack on Titan. Here's a bunch of stuff which you'd like, and I'm like, I don't like any of that. Like that yeah. It's like I don't like comic books. I like graphic novels, <laughs> you know. And it's like, and I just, I just got the um, the the trade back, trade paperback of um, uh, Sandman Overtures, like the like uh, No Game did like a, another Sandman. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had a subscription, but they were like coming out like six months apart. And I'm like, I'm gonna wait. Yeah. So it's it's great, and and like watching like Sandman is one of those things that like once I read it, I was like, this is like one of the awesomest things I've ever seen. And I don't like things like it. I don't yeah. like, there's a few other graphic novels that I like in the DC Vertigo line, but like in general, like I don't, Yeah. I like, don't like I like it. a few, like, I like it. Yeah. Like I like that guy in that story. Yeah. And I think that, um, for the nostalgia piece, there, like there are, there's, I mean, like the Hellraiser. Like I don't, I saw it with my brother when I was like 15. Like it was just so epic. Right. And like, and I, I don't like horror. I don't like things like that in general, mm-hmm. but I like that. Yeah. Um, and I think that, so all the, all the other stuff falls away. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, like, like if they made something that's like Hellraiser in style, I would like it. Cause I didn't like two, I, there probably, probably seven of them or something. <laughs> yeah. Several. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like any of them. And I, and, but there was, and so I think that, you know, in, in each generation or, you know, there's like the thing that. There's that thing that you, Sticks with you yeah, like because yeah. there's someone writing it and you're seeing it, mm-hmm. and you just you connect about it, mm-hmm. um, and I think that that can be, in the modern age of data, like that thing mm-hmm. can be easily quantified. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, and and or, or, or I mean, or like, or it can be more easily categorized and, and attempted to be replicated in other things. But I think though that, again, like nostalgia can't just be. I mean, like a good piece that draws on nostalgia can be awesome. But a piece that goes out to say like we're just nostalgia, it doesn't. It never works. Like you're like yeah, we're gonna redo MacGyver, it sucks. Right. You know, we're gonna redo Bubba, it sucks. Yeah. The de- like it's the opposite, or the reboots are the op- almost the opposite of nostalgia, right? So I like I like MacGyver because it's fun, it's goofy, and it's just some just its own show, right? It's a semi unique show. I don't like things that I don't like MacGyver two or MacGyver the reboot. Because it's already been done. 
I like the the things that I like that stuck with me as a kid are unique or different or really stood out at the time for one reason or another, whether or not it's the only choice, the only movie that I didn't see yet, or, you know, it was on sale at whatever, um, and not because it is like the things that I already liked. Yeah. Like I, you know, the the uniqueness and the 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 difference that makes those movies stand out or any those any media really stand out is not that easily. Maybe, maybe it's easily quantifiable. Maybe you can find things that are just like it, but redoing those things in the same fashion with the same titles and the same things but worse. Yeah, doesn't. Yeah, do it for and me. And I think yeah. that's Jeremy. You and I were talking about after Rogue One, uh, like specifically about Han Solo, and they're making a new Han Solo with different actor and things like that. But I think part of just realizing, like the original Star Wars trilogy, like that's like lightning in a bottle. Like those three main actors and things together, like that just worked at that time, and that's something that you probably cannot recapture in a lot of ways. You know, like. Harrison Ford is Han Solo at that age, and Mark Hamill and um, and Princess Leia, like they worked together with that setting and the resources they had at that time, and you can't recapture that. Yeah, like, I mean, def- I- definitely cannot recapture. Like, there's no like, oh, right. maybe we can. It's like can't do it. Young Harrison it's Ford, it's gone. You know, mm-hmm. is Han Solo and Indiana Jones. Right, right. Those franchises are almost nothing yeah. without him right there at the center of them. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think like his acting and his performances and his wry smile and his mm-hmm. pants and everything, like, mm-hmm. that's what makes it. You yeah. know, like, because time and time again, like, going back and watching the old things, the, the original Star Wars films, mm-hmm. um, I like stuff, but I love Han Solo. Yeah. You know, like, he comes in at the end and saves Luke. You know, he mm-hmm. lets, you know, lets, you know, like, Lando take his ship, you know, and he's, and he's more fatherly at the end. He's like, I don't know what's going on with Leia and Luke. You know, yeah. like, he's that guy. I mean... And without his, without someone to deliver some kind of a performance like that, mm-hmm. with a, a you know a character and a personality, it's really hard to do that stuff. Yeah, and I think maybe maybe this is obvious, but like I think what makes nostalgia so nostalgic is that we are grasping after that something that we felt at that moment, yeah. and sometimes we see images that sort of evoke that but don't quite get to it, you know? And that's that's the feeling we're yeah. looking for is to return to that and we can't quite get right. there. But at least they bring back that that part of it. So when it really comes down to it, I'd much rather have a Stranger Things that has goofy callbacks, like kids riding BMX bikes, than having Han Solo on a walker. <laughs> you know, yeah. don't, don't tread the things that Chewy. have already happened. Give me something new. I mean, with some winks to the yeah. past that make me feel good. And I mean, some of that is tied into, yeah, I did ride my bike like that with my friends in the 80s. So that is a pretty universal right. thing that happened. So when I see it in E.T., it also, it's not just that it's referencing E.T. or something like that, but that was like, yeah, that's something from that period that we did. So I think this is an interesting discussion. We're not going to always talk about nostalgia, of course, that's yeah. this week. But I do think it ties into our podcast title. And what we're trying to do here is explore some of the things outside of the films or the connections, the connective tissue between them that we can find in in culture and the ideas. So uh, I think this is a good example of that. Uh, Let's move on to the next segment about what we've been watching with our kids. With our children. Mikey, you want to go first? 
Um, I'm actually pretty ill-prepared for this segment. Um, I guess most recently, what what I was watching with our kids, Star Wars. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you just did it. Yeah. Rogue One. Yeah. Um, you have to rewatch A New Hope. Is how yeah, it's that's, what I, that's what I said after the film. And uh, so we watched the movie. I ex- had asked some probing questions to kind of confirm that she got everything and asked her, you know, which which character is your favorite? Do you think that was pretty cool? I thought that this, this was pretty cool. Um, and then at dinner afterwards, I said, Olivia, like, don't tell mom this, who we see at the end. But, like, it goes right into the next movie. Isn't that cool? And she's like, what? <laughs> so, I think that it's... A, she was like, what was that weird CGI face? That yeah, it was, it was, oh, it's like, not weird. She probably didn't even notice. <laughs> um, she knew who... I mean, she, obviously she knew who it was. She, I'm sure she didn't notice. But, she, I mean, I think that the factor of it is that she didn't, doesn't know the films as well as I do. We yeah. watched all of them one after another. Um, so... To say it, yeah, do you remember the very beginning, the very first scene of this film? Oh, no, because, but, um, I mean, that's that's what most recently we've been yeah. been getting. Yeah, we most recently. That's that's always recently. Yeah. <laughs> watching um, so yeah, so I mean, uh, I most recently we've been playing a, we've been playing a lot of Terraria. Have you guys ever played Terraria? Do not know. So, video game or board game? It's a video game. Okay. Um, so Terraria is like a side-scrolling, slightly more dark Minecraft. Okay. I mean, that's one way to describe it. Um, we, you know, I mean, one of the things that I love about the world today is like, uh, like we have a Microsoft Xbox 360 and like stuff goes on sale. And like all the stuff that's old, it's like, here's a game that used to be 25 bucks. You can get it for a buck 99. Um, and so we bought it and, yeah. you know, like, I think some of, you know, my son's uh, friends had played it at school uh-huh. and we're like, it's cool. And then like eight hours later, we're like, ah, <laughs> we played it. We played a lot. Um, and it's fun to see, um, because like as he's played different games, like we played a lot of Minecraft, mm-hmm. um, we played a lot of Halo, played a lot of some, you know, like some real time strategy games. We play like Dawn of War. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the first game that's like a game that he's played before, but is kind of different. I mean, it's, yeah. it's. I, I think it came out after Minecraft. I don't know all the details, um, but it, it has it has a lot of things which are similar, but a lot of things to offer on its own. Like if you if you haven't played Terraria out there, yeah. um, you should try it out. I mean, if you like Minecraft, um, it has all the, a lot of the building stuff, but a whole lot more like adventuring. Like you just just so much more fighting things and exploring, and it's really tough and it's fun. Um, so we've been playing a lot of that. Um, uh, my, he, they just uh, uh, Eli and I saw Rogue One like last week. Uh-huh. Um, my folks just saw it today, um, this afternoon, which is pretty exciting for them. Um, and my wife came home and she's like, "You know what I want to do?" I'm like, "What's that?" It's like, I just want to watch all those old movies again. You know, just like and all of Clone Wars. And I'm like, "Yeah, so do I." Yeah. Um, I also have to say, like, you did not go with them. No, I, I did, didn't see it a second time because I was I was staying home with the youngest. Oh, I see. Um, but I also have to say, like, I am a huge fan of the, like, Disney Anywhere technology, whatever that is. You know, because, like, if you buy, like, a Pixar film, yeah, you can watch it on, like, any streaming service. Okay. Yeah, you yeah. Buy, buy the digital copy. I can watch it on Netflix, Amazon Video, on my devices, on my Blu-ray player, on my TV, on my Xbox. Like, you it's just, I, I don't yeah. mean, I'm sure it's not a complicated technology. It has to do with, like, a licensing <laughs> agreement that goes right, between right. them. But, like... 
again, like when I was, you know, like 13 years old, we mm-hmm. had all of the Star Wars films um, on a giant, like eight hour VHS tape mm-hmm. that like was wearing out over the hundred yeah. times that I watched it. So the idea that I could like buy for all time, yeah. like a license to an HD version of Star Wars. I'm like, yes, I don't care if it's 25 bucks. Yeah. Like, that's great. The only thing about it, though, is, I mean, Eli and I, I think, are kind of on the same page about, like, the hand-shot first argument. Like, I I, I showed my kids the originally screened Star Wars first. I purposely bought a VHS copy uh, from a thrift store. I mean, I, I, I have a copy. Yeah, I got a, I got a DVD transfer from original VHS. <laughs> the quality is not quite as good, right. you know, but, like, he had to, there's some things he had to see and some stuff he could not see. He could not see could the not ring in the Death Star. He could not see the young job of the Hutt, you know. I uh, I agree, but I have to say when I got the Blu-rays for all the films was like, we have used those so much. It's just so nice to be like, yeah. I'm just going to pop in this beautiful looking version of this film yeah, yeah. without the you know, special edition editions. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. I, I don't know if mine are that exciting. Uh, I was going to mention we watched the movie Paddington, which is on Netflix now. Oh, yeah. The, like the, uh, the new remake? The new remake. Which I was a little, was not really paying attention to much, but I did go originally with my oldest Asher to see it in the theater, and it was actually really fun. Kind of like Wes Anderson kind of oh, quirkiness to yeah. it, and and kind of fun, and it's got some slapstick stuff that he enjoyed, just kind of fun, but kind of cool. So uh, we watched that as a family recently on now that's on Netflix. It's it's a nice little movie. Um, that's pretty much all we've. Oh, I was gonna mention. Oh, you mentioned Voltron, which the second season is coming out soon. <laughs> I haven't seen any. I mean, I, I I like lived and died by Voltron. You haven't watched the new? No, I haven't seen it. I, I mean, this. Yeah. I'm working my way through Luke Horrible Cage. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> before I get there. So yeah, we watched it pretty fast when it came out. Um, originally, it's a lot of fun. Cool. So humorous, awesome action. They kept except for they kept being like, "Are they going to form Voltron in this episode? Like the full one? Because some episodes they don't. Um, like." It's a pretty good story. And I'll like form the head. Yeah. Form arms. So they were just like, it kind of builds up at the very end again for them doing it, which is kind of awesome. Well, I do want to say too, on the like the larger picture of like what are we showing with our kids, mm-hmm. we've, um, so we play uh, this original Xbox game called uh, Robotech Battle Cry. Uh-huh. So it, do you guys know about Robotech? Mm, yeah. Uh, sure. I mean... Robotech is like these three Japanese series of like people and like giant robots um, that were like taken from Japan, like sort of like reorganized and redubbed and released in the United States. Um, and they're like, I grew up like uh, first hearing about them from my brother and then watching them for myself. Anyways, we play this game on the, we have the original Xbox game, which you can play in the 360, which is cool. It has like cartoony graphics with like the large black outline. It's well, well done. Hard to play, challenging, but fun. Um, and I have this uh, like tabletop game that we've been you know working on building the miniatures for, and so they've been like interested in like, like oh my gosh like can we like watch Robotech someday? And I was like no 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 no. And then recently I'm like well he's eight and he's four. I'm like we could actually do this, <laughs> but I'm a little bit like I don't I get yeah, I, I, when when we watch it like I want to be able to like you know enjoy this ex- amazing experience of like what happens to these people and these stories mm-hmm. with them, and I don't want to I don't want to like. I mean, I guess I could watch it a second time. I mean, I just don't want to like ruin it for them. I uh, I, I don't want to be like this is awesome, and they're like, the right I don't really, I don't really get it. Yeah, yeah. I've thought of that too. Yeah, like, yeah. I believe it's on Amazon now too. Oh, I mean, I I own it on, D- on DVD. Oh, yeah. Oh, we may have to talk about that later. 
Oh yeah, I mean you can you can. I have the protocol. So <laughs> you can borrow it. Um, yeah, Voltron Robotech. Yeah. 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 Uh, let's go into the last segment of just like what we've been streaming recently. All right. Or anything good you have recommendations for? Uh, you want to go first again, Mike? Yeah. Um, so I've. I mean, I thought a lot about a little bit about um, what to suggest to our fictional. Audience. audience out there yeah our, our real world audience huge audience huge at this moment. vast yeah um and i knew we'd be talking a bit about star wars i know we I, actually we can actually touched earlier about the previews um before star wars uh, and one of those was guardians of the galaxy volume two yeah uh, i actually haven't seen the first one don't really care to <laughs> not too much of an interest in seeing them but uh james gunn who made both of those um, had his start in uh, for a company called Troma, Troma, uh, Troma, Troma Productions, Troma Entertainment, um, and they're not doing so well. I mean, they haven't been they haven't done great in, uh, financially for several years, I'm sure. But um, they have started their own streaming service. Um, they also have a pretty extensive library on YouTube. Uh, so they have under the Troma Entertainment channel, full full films. Um, one of them being James Gunn's directorial debut, *Tromeo and Juliet*. Mm. Uh, it is the telling of a, an urban setting, *Romeo and Juliet*, um, much akin to your Baz Luhrmann yeah. *Romeo plus Juliet*, <laughs> but it's in a gritty. Um, I mean, a much more punk rock violent sexualized tale <laughs> yeah um it's the story of tromeo uh who is an independent filmmaker and the capulet family who uh i believe is like the mega conglomerate filmmaker gotcha. film <laughs> company uh-huh um and their love yeah, and and um their family's battle and there's lots of blood and um, there's a young Sean Gunn, who's, I think, a co-writer of that film. Um, and Lloyd Kaufman, of course, and there's a penis monster. And, <laughs> of course uh, It's fantastic. It's really fun. It's uh, very funny. Um, and it's streaming on YouTube. Trump cool. and Juliet. I, I think when Guardians of the Galaxy was coming out, and like they announced James Gunn, there was like a certain, like, James Gunn? Marvel? mainstream like movie <laughs> like a little concerned like really <laughs> he's gonna make that i think i mean it, it turned out really, really he's made a, a few other trauma films as well mm-hmm. and i can you can really kind of see the upbeat kind of quirkiness mm-hmm. come through I, I mean i'd assume in guardians of the galaxy yeah, did, i liked it he did yeah. super yeah with uh oh, Wilson. yeah yeah i think yeah pretty sure i mean guardians of the galaxy is kind of reverent and yeah yeah subversive right bit, so. jokes about black lights yeah, <laughs> uh, and it really kind of comes through, but with like lots of punk, yeah, mohawk dyed hair in the '90s, and yeah. uh, Lemmy Kilmeister's in it. He's the narrator of the, the Shakespearean tale. Uh, <laughs> it's really good. It's a good watch. Cool. Um, uh, the other day I was uh, I haven't yet lamented on the show about Luke Cage. I think lament on it in future episodes which we yeah. previously recorded. Um, but I was going to, um, uh, yeah, Luke Cage, uh, cool idea. Uh, he looks great, but the acting is horrible. <laughs> and I was going to like, 
uh, I was always buying Christmas presents, and uh, Amazon Prime was like, hey, you know what? Um, uh, this season two of A Man in the High Castle is up. And I was like, oh, ooh, really? And I was like, I'm, I'm going to go to the gym and watch it. And so I watched the first episode of the second season. I, I would recommend heartily the first season. There, I mean, there's it's got problems, mm-hmm. um, notably the female protagonist who is horrible, and I can't stand it. But the rest of the show is pretty awesome. And she mm-hmm. has her moments. She just... She's like, yeah. oh my god, what's going on? You know, I'm like, how are you in this world? <laughs> um, but the uh, the first episode of the second season is really good. Um, you get to you get you go back into this world and like uh, they a whole lot advances in the first episode. Like you learn a lot of stuff you've been waiting yeah. to learn like since the first episode of the first season. Um, and so it also looks like it's like I don't think there's there might not be a third season. I mean, oh. I, I mean, it, it, based on the trajectory of like se- season two, episode one, like they're gonna finish this up in the second season. So intentional like ending or like they're not getting a third season. No, no. I mean, I think they're I mean like the, they they seem season. to be on okay. pace to like finish the this story, large yeah. story arc in two seasons, which yeah. I think would be fine. Yeah, would be smart. Um, I, I mean, like there's the setting is great. The, the so many of the performances are really good. <laughs> And I think, again, some of the writing is weak on Julian, the main female character. Mm-hmm. But, like, so many of the other characters um, are interesting. It's a little funny. I mean, it's it's yeah. good. It's also, like, you know, it reads, like, early sci-fi um, in that it's a bit clunky. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a really interesting thought experiment about a world, you know. And the world is, like, what happens if the Allies lose World War Two, Right. You know, and the United States is occupied by the greater Nazi Reich and the Japanese. Yeah. And you just have these interesting, really chilling... Mm-hmm. Um, scenes like in in, in um, uh, this first episode of the second season, you have like a young member of like the Hitler Youth Movement like do the Pledge of Allegiance at the school <laughs> to Hitler. You know, like everybody does it. It's yeah. like in you know in New York or somewhere. Yeah. Um, so there's a they do it. I would heartily recommend it. Um, it it's I've read the book. It's uh, different than the book, but still in the same genre and really inspired mm-hmm. by it. I mean, I think that um, it's a really great story and would be yeah. interesting for anyone who hasn't heard about it, which is probably nobody because it's. Advertised very heavily, but I think it's worth it. Yeah, we uh, you've been promoting it a lot to me. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, I had planned to watch it right away, and we finally got around to it, and we watched the first episode, my wife and I. And uh, yeah, it's really good. I wish I hadn't waited so long. I mean, like the cinematography is beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't. I saw the trailers and they looked great, but it was even better looking than I thought. And yeah. I love the noir style and yeah. the spies, and I just all into that. Um, but sometimes when we watch things together, it takes us a while. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. Um, but I'm excited to watch more of it. Um, cool. So what I've been watching recently is I want to mention a couple things. Um, one is since we're talking about Rogue One this week, uh, Gareth Edwards' first feature film is Monsters, um, and I believe it is on uh, Amazon now. Want to say it's it seems like it bounces around the streaming services. Uh, have you guys seen that? No. Okay. So it's kind of misleading because it's it's actually about aliens. Um, it's called Monsters. Um, so I would say it's got some problems and it points to what I think are some of his weaknesses, which is <laughs> characters. And uh, I'm not sure if he's a great uh, actor director. Yeah. Directing his actors very well. Uh, so the the characters become a little bit annoying. Um, but it's kind of like in the near future and uh, this man and this woman that have to kind of travel through Mexico and uh, to get back to the United States. And there's like 
alien invasion sort of happening in areas, so they're trying, they're just on the ground trying to um, avoid these. So Gareth Edwards is originally did his own special effects for the film as well, directed. Uh, and so it does have a beautiful, it's pretty low budget, but the ending with some visual effects of the aliens is actually really like beautiful and kind of awe-inspiring, like not what you think, but there is some kind of like thrilling, spooky moments in it too. Um, along their journey, but I would recommend watching it at least for the interest. Yeah. I was browsing through Amazon. It's it's on mm-hmm. Amazon. Yeah, and I said, "Oh, this looks good." Yeah, and my wife said, "I don't, I don't, don't want to watch, watch a scary movie." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it has it has a few like thrilling moments, yeah. but over that's I wouldn't say it's that scary. It, it read the description read as if it was like a zombie holocaust. Uh, yeah, yeah, like a quarantine zone. Yeah, like uh, it sounds. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah. I don't want to just watch some knockoff zombie. Right. It's not zombies. Trope. Yeah. Um, so that's good. And I think it does point to, like, he made Godzilla. I don't know if you guys saw that either. But, which has some great visuals and kind of moments too, but um, the characters were really weak again. And, I mean, I think Rogue One has a better script than he's ever worked with before. So yeah. I think if he has good writing, mm-hmm. um, he does much better. But Which maybe not, wasn't always his fault. Uh, the other thing I want to recommend is also on Amazon, but it's a British show, The Night Manager. So this is based on a John Le Carre novel, um, spy novel. So he's been kind of popular uh, lately, the last few years. Uh, Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy. Um, there was John, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's, one of his last films he was in, a John Le Carre-based uh, film. Um, and then this year... I know My Kind of Traitor, which Ian McGregor was also in, is based on his. But The Night Manager stars Tom Hiddleston. It's kind of like a miniseries. Um, I think there's six episodes, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Hiddleston's kind of the main character, and Hugh Laurie's in it, and he's kind well, of the villain. And it's really fun because I think he's been playing a lot of like Americans, and this he gets to just use his British voice, yeah. and he kind of choose the scenery in a more fun way. Um I mean, he, he's, like, the, the bad guy, but he, like, is a little bit lighter than, than we're going to see him. Um, which is kind of fun, because I grew up watching him on Jeeves and Wooster. I don't know if you guys have ever watched I don't that. even know what that is. Okay. It's, like, an old British show, but it's, like, a comedy, and he's, like, this kind of silly British guy, and his butler's, like, the smart one, and uh, is always kind of saving him. Um, it's pretty, totally opposite of, like, the house character, if you watch him. Anyway, so, uh, the night manager's pretty solid i would say it's kind of a mix between like james bond and mission impossible but without with hardly any action <laughs> yeah so it's just kind of like the intrigue and stuff like that um so i would highly recommend it great like beautiful locations and solid acting and stuff like that um do you guys pretty positive on tom hiddleston loki most he's of the fine. stuff I like him. This is the first role that he's like, I'm the leading man, and yeah, I mean, I'm awesome. And he was a little boring, and it, again, it might have just been like he the, seems boring. the role. Yeah, yeah. And first I was impression like, is like dry, boring. Yeah, he was a little dry, and it was kind of his character was supposed to be like keeping everything inside, and like yeah. he's kind of a double agent, and but like, I was like you know, but, I was but looking for a I don't know. So him. um, yeah. what's his um. Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. Right. I, I I liked him as Bud White in, in uh, L.A. Confidential. 
Yeah. I thought he was great as the silent, like he has a couple looks and mm-hmm. that's what he gets. He's mm-hmm. great in that, yeah. Everything else, it just doesn't do it for me. <laughs> like, I don't know how many times I've seen um, Gladiator. Uh-huh. Like, it is so boring to me. Because he's, he's just like, I'm just this face with the scrag. The entire yeah, movie. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he like yells and is like, are you even angry? Like, <laughs> I, I'd get nothing from him. He is like a blank piece of paper. Yeah. Um, even in Beautiful Mind, he's like, I'm around, like everyone around him is interesting and yeah. intriguing, and he's just like nothing. Yeah. There's like no emotive. It's it nothing like from him. I I didn't like it as much, but I actually like the Night Manager a lot. But sometimes he just kind of like smiles a lot at the other characters, and it kind of gives more of the impression like I don't really know what we're talking about right now. I'm just gonna <laughs> smile. Yeah, like, yeah. So it kind of felt like a little a little like it wasn't cut together quite well, or they like Do yeah. You know what oh. emotion you're supposed to be having in yeah, this scene. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Um, yeah. So, uh, but I would have been waiting for that to show up in America, so. Oh, yeah. I was happy when it It's good. Cool. Uh, anything else? No, good. thanks Thanks for listening to our first podcast here. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully ran, ran a little bit long. But you'll cut it up, right? Because that's super easy. Just cut yeah. it up. Cut out the bad sure. stuff. Turn it down. It's going to be great. Yeah.